0: Right. Should
1: have got Sound one of effects. those haunted house records, you know, with like
0: doors closing. Oh, I got one of those to, to put in post. <laughs> we just got to pretend it's always playing. We're always scared, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Goblins and ghouls. It's a super secret, spooky edition of this hearts and peppers only hearts club band good time podcast, only podcast on the internet or scrawled on walls in blood. That identifies, biographies, and exercises all the figures on the top, on the cover of the Beatles' 1967 album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Today, we have a guest. We have a guest, yes. Let's introduce him to my right. Dan, you're right also, I guess. Everyone's right. Ori, introduce yourself. Say hi to to the fine folks.
1: Hello, all you people out there in TV land. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Spoiler, this will be TV in some point. There will be film, but I don't know you mean. will oh, not yes.
1: be able there to will adjust be
2: your television.
1: <laughs> we you control the not. horizontal. <laughs> we control the vertical.
2: You control the depth. How come in the in the outer limits they only controlled the horizontal and the vertical, but they didn't control the third uh what's it called? Vertices? There's three dimensions. There's the left, there's up.
1: I mean, they're they're alien overlords. You know, who says they maybe they just don't understand how TVs work?
2: Are you saying that The Outer Limits was an alien hosted show that they were broadcasting from space?
1: Uh, It's not.
0: I'd say alien only in that it's, you know, otherworldly, like it's outside of the terrestrial. And it's medium is only, you know, the left and the right. I mean, the up and the downs.
2: You never saw the guy that said all that stuff at the beginning. You always got to see Rod Serling.
0: I always thought it was Max He wasn't Henry. hiding
2: behind a microphone. He had a boom mic over his head. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was a tiny microphone in the cigarette. At that signpost up there. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> You've just entered the twilight zone.
2: Yeah, that's why he always had to hold that cigarette.
0: <laughs> Ori, don't avoid the question. Yes. Tell us a little,
1: little about yourself. Uh, yes. Hello. Hello, Ori. <laughs> I'm I'm Ori. Very happy to be here on the spooky, scary edition of the podcast. Because let's face it, I'm probably the spookiest person you know.
0: I I would say that I I, I, I would almost be
1: willing to bet money on that.
0: Uh, certainly the spookiest listener of our show. We want to thank you for for tuning in to, yes. you are I I I don't know. Am I out of base? I think you're all caught up on this show. You've You've heard everything that's been out so far, all the way up to um, who was our last one? Uh, Anonymous. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. but we're trying to work my way backwards. Oh, just, nice. Just okay. to make life difficult on myself. Well, yeah. There's no
0: really wrong way to 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 listen to it. I'd say, um, like when you first look at it, at your cover, which, by the way, that was a great time. Uh, to dust the cobwebs yes. off your album cover.
2: I know it's probably been about a month
1: yes, or so. Get your, get your album cover, put on your 3D out. glasses. Our album
2: cover looks extra spooky today. There's X's over a lot of the people's faces. I have foot stickers. Dead?
0: I have foot stickers it, so
2: we know which one, because it gets a little squirrely when we
0: get it, to the third it, row.
1: It is kind of looking like part of a saw puzzle, though, at this point.
0: Well, also, <laughs>
2: and for all those record collectors out there, have no fear, it's only on the plastic sleeve. If we're okay here, I have another reason why I think that those are all real people and not cardboard cutouts. If those were cardboard cutouts, don't you think they could have organized them a little bit more neatly? It's way harder to coordinate a large group of people of all different heights to stand and be like even and level in distinct rows, but cardboard cutouts you they wouldn't have been high like the short guy would have been could have been just as tall as the tall guy and not hidden behind him and you wouldn't have to zigzag through the season to figure out who we were going to do next you know what i mean also a lot of egos two people wanting to be in front of each
0: other yeah, yeah you have that, to that wonder if there was some crowded. argument over billing
2: yeah these are all the questions that we're yet to answer. Like Leo Gorsey didn't want to be on the cover, but he gave Corey Feldman all that money. <laughs> Corey Feldman didn't even end up on the cover. No. Not on this one anyway. Not on this timeline mm. that we're right, i about to say
1: Cory Feldman, unfortunately not existing yet, was not on the not on the
2: cover. No, Corey Cory Feldman was like right across the street from the studio when they were taking these pictures. Cause Leo Gorsi... He was waiting for his like his tire to get changed or something. Yeah, and he had a coffee. Just happened to be there. He was just drinking a coffee, and he left like eight hundred dollars on the table. Weird times. And then Corey Feldman took it. Isn't that what happened? Was that was that canon or was that just something that we thought would have been funny? It's pretty close to canon.
0: I don't <laughs> know if it was eight hundred. It Feels like it was six hundred or four hundred. Six hundred dollars. Yeah, but um, yeah, they met.
2: That was all it took back then. There would have been no negotiations over, uh, like, AI reusing of their likeness. Topical.
1: Yep. Give me, give me a couple hundred bucks, we're done.
2: Yeah. That's not what we came
0: here to talk about today, though. We're here to talk about the spookiest of the the bunch, the motliest of the crew yes. here on the album cover. Uh, a couple of these are going to be from the first uh, row, which is the first season, which um, we, you know, we didn't try too hard in that first season. We were just kind of finding what was up. and
2: uh, Yeah, the first yeah. season.
0: AI pretty much wrote all the biographies there, and there's a lot more to be said about some of these figures, um, included but not limited to uh, Aleister Crowley, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, um, second row we might even get into a little bit more about H.G. Wells. Who knows? Um, but we got Ori here, as our designated uh, spooky man, who knows about the spookiness, <laughs> I'm, I'm putting that on my resume now. <laughs> yes, it's canon now. It's it's on the internet. Um, uh, so we're going to set the record straight and do a little bit more. You know, g- give a little more credit where credit is due. And um, s- s- do you want to talk about Poe first? We're going to talk about okay, it's good w- times. yeah. Um, what do you know about Poe? Yeah, what are some some Poe holes we, we left <laughs> open?
1: Okay. Um, Poe was actually the, as far as we know, anyways, the first American writer to try to make his living solely by writing. Most of the other great American writers at that time had some sort of side hustle. Uh-huh. But there was, you know, uh, you know, maybe they were like news reporters or whatever. But Poe was like, nope, I'm I'm a writer. I'm gonna write. You know, this is what I do. Um, married someone very, very, very young. <laughs> Um, he but, was or she was she was no I
2: was kidding <laughs> were they related
1: I think maybe distantly
2: okay but everyone was back it was then yeah, yeah. was I mean, a small Honest- world many people a small yeah
1: honestly in that time it would have been like oh I married my third cousin who's 14 like that was just that was how you did things back yeah. then yeah
2: great balls of fire <laughs> exactly delicious.
1: all kinds of of Jerry Lee Lewis um, <laughs> he at at one point uh, tried to do a newspaper hoax before getting into writing spooky stories. Ooh. Okay. He, he did a hoax about a uh, a balloon journey. Cuz it was a time people were like, "Oh, hot air yeah. balloons." Mm-hmm. That's crazy. <laughs> air travel. Right, but I mean, yeah. you think about it like we look at like are right, you worried about hot air balloons, but yeah, first time people could travel in the air.
2: Could they control hot air balloons? Do they have jet Do they have jets or like or sails that um, they would move?
1: I don't know if they were really in sales per se, like you could, there was ballast, so you could, well, really at that, once you're in the air, all you could do would be to ditch ballast. Um, you were kind of at the mercy of the wind, but you could still control your up and down. That's Relatively it? well, yeah.
2: Well, then how did anyone get it? Is that why it was so yeah. impressive that they got around the world in 80 days in that book? Yeah. Because <laughs> it was <laughs> a coincidence exactly why was they went impressive. anywhere. Yeah.
0: So you're telling me that when you're in a hot air balloon, you are controlling the vertical. But not, not the horizontal. horizontal. No, oh.
1: yeah, the, the horizontal, you are at the, the mercy of, of Mother Nature.
0: Oh, Mother. Mother Superior.
1: Um, so he writes yeah. his hoax. Yeah, he did this balloon hoax. and Because uh, he's like, well, people are mad for ballooning. It's weird because when you look at Poe, he was almost trying to like avoid the whole spooky story thing.
0: Huh.
1: Like he, he almost didn't want that to be his his legacy in, in a way. And then he finally just had to accept, okay, you know what? I'm good at this. People want to read spooky stories. Fine. What do you think he wanted to be known for? Um, I think he wanted to be more of like the more serious literary guys, you know, like a, a, a Longfellow, you know, or, or something like that. Because um, let's, I mean, whether it's literary horror or horror movies, horror is always kind of like in a sort of a, Low opinion, yeah,
2: yeah. There's still no like Oscar for best horror movie, but nowadays people would consider Edgar Allan Poe's stories to be like classic, genuine literature because of how it's written and how poetic it is.
1: If he came out today, a twenty four would be all over. Yeah, oh yeah, and a twenty (laughs) five, a (laughs) twenty
2: six, a twenty three, bingo.
1: There's
2: no a in bingo. Bloomhouse would have at least. Seven movies in production. Oh yeah.
1: Do <laughs> so like? Do you Jason, have any
2: scraps of paper you scribbled Jason on? Jason would
1: have Poe on Speed Dial. <laughs> Edgar, what's up? <laughs> Do you have any dreams? Right. Do you have weird dreams last night? Okay, cool. We're making a movie.
2: Chew any gum and get bored. You got any? You got anything you wrote down?
1: Anything? I don't care. Right. Um. So yeah, of course, you know, we all know Poe's spooky stories. Uh, you know the narrative of. Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, which was the big, like, cannibalism story.
2: That's a, I think it's a lesser-known one. You familiar with that one, Dad? No. I only know two yeah. of his stories. I know the crow and... <laughs> 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 with Brandon Lee? Yeah. Uh, no, I know the raven right. and yeah, the the I name name know the, the telltale heart, and I think that's... Yeah. I'm sure there are a that few is. that, like, if you said the names of them... Like, did he do uh, the pit and the pendulum? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Murders in the Room Org. I don't know that one.
0: Uh, Follow the House of Usher. Yep.
2: I've heard of that.
1: Uh, premature
2: burial. I d- I've never even heard of that. Um,
1: that one was actually written from one of his own phobias. Poe was was known for having a phobia of being like buried alive. Um, and you I, you might have come across this before. It used to be a case sometimes people would get buried with like a little string attached yeah, to a with bell in the bell. coffin and be like, hey, get me, you know, get me the hell out of here. For whom the bell tolls. Is that what that is no. named after? No, no. just. Bringing it back to this. yeah. Interestingly enough, there. So when you said the Raven, there have been two film adaptations of the Raven, both of which have nothing to do with the poem. Really? Yeah. No. There was a um, I want to say '68, like late '60s one that Roger Corman did, um, which is actually really fun. It's got Vincent Price and Boris Karloff and Peter Lorre, oh, and they're they're just... all wizards. <laughs> and and Karloff puts a curse on Peter Lorre that turns him into a Raven. And Peter Lorre goes to Vincent Price, and he's like, "Hey, like Boris Karloff is is messing everybody up. You're like you're the only wizard powerful enough to oppose him." Uh, Jack Nicholson is in it um, for you know for a few minutes. Wow! Well, too bad they couldn't get anyone.
2: Yeah, yeah. and then he would <laughs> reprise that role fifteen years
1: later in the Witches of Eastwick. <laughs>
0: um,
1: Seasonal. So, yeah, it's, it's really fun. At the end of it, you get to see, like, Vincent Price and Boris Karloff in, like, these big floating, like, throne chairs, and they're, like, throwing spells at each other. And none of this has anything to do with the poem, but it's Well, fun. <laughs> what's that poem even about? I never,
2: I mean, I'm sure if I read it now as an adult, I could probably, like, analyze it and come to some understanding, but that it like, never made sense to it's
1: me. It's, like, foreboding and dread. The raven is, like, that thing around the corner that maybe you don't know. Is is creeping up on you. So that was that was Poe's kind of vision for the Raven. He's like, okay, this is about like there's always that darkness like around the corner. But in the poem it's a literal raven, right? Yes. The raven is is
2: rap, rap, rapping at his at his chamber door. And why does it keep saying nevermore? Is it because it heard him say that?
1: Um, no, just to be weird and scary
2: yeah see, I feel like that would be hard <laughs> to adapt into a movie without yeah. m- taking a lot of liberties right, but
1: pe- i mean people tried it um the other one was was not so fun um it was i forget the director, but it has um oh help me out, um the guy from one Crazy summer i don't
2: know
1: um gross point
2: blank oh, um. Yeah, he's got that sister Cusack. John yes, Cusack John Cusack, thank
1: you. So John Cusack is Poe in this version of the Raven, and it's directed by the guy who did the V for Vendetta movie. Okay. And there is like they tried to do like a Saw movie, but like the the killer is like doing murders based off of Poe's stories. So now right and now Poe is like, Oh, I have to I have to stop the murderer and it's just it's bad. It's really, really <laughs> bad. You know, at least the 60s version, it's like, okay, this has nothing to do with anything other than there's a raven in it, but it's fun. Because how do you not have fun watching Peter Lorre and Vincent Price and Boris Karloff try to, like, out-ham
2: each other? Peter Lorre, Vincent Price, and Boris Karloff, the three dudes that are most parodied with their voices, Mm -hmm. like, whose voices are actually, like, public domain, essentially, all three of them.
1: All right, how often do you hear a spooky voice and they're like, hello? You know, and yeah. they're doing Karloff, yeah. Yeah,
2: and then when someone, whenever anyone tries to do like the Igor, the, yes, oh, hear me. Mm. Dad, it's very nice to meet you. That's like, uh, that's Laurie. Mm. And then everyone knows Vincent Price. Oh,
1: yeah. Thriller. Yeah.
0: <laughs> a thousand years. Stench of a thousand years. The funk of 40,000 years. That's it
2: thanks for the yeah I don't like when he says getting down <laughs> because I don't think he understood that line <laughs> why are they getting down they were already in their graves <laughs> this doesn't make any sense
0: uh, Vincent price should have done the baseball um, uh, um when you watch baseball
2: um color commentary yes. yeah
0: the, the the baseball commentary in Meatloaf's Paradise Better dashboard <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Also, Vincent Price, bisexual icon. Oh, Yeah, he, he wasn't right? public okay. about it, but he, like, came out to his his daughter when she came out, and he's like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm completely cool with the fact that you like girls, and here's why. Oh, oh
2: that's awesome. So yeah. he was a very socially progressive guy.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
2: He also had a curated paint painting collection Mm -hmm. he did not paint these paintings they were his favorite paintings they were reproductions of like these favorite paintings of his and he sold them exclusively through sears (laughs) (laughs) you would get this like subscription and they would send you paintings that vincent price thought were really cool that was back in the early late 70s or early 80s
1: (laughs) also also a gourmet cook and uh, he has a heavy metal album.
2: No. That's Chris Lee.
0: Chris Lee. Oh, Christopher Shame Lee. On me.
2: Yes, it is Christopher Lee. Do you think Christopher Lee did that because he thought it was cool? Or do you think he did it because people told him that it was cool?
1: I mean, Christopher Lee probably honestly thought it was cool. that That's what I choose to believe.
0: He did it for himself. Yeah. I would think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you're going to do a metal album about, like, Charlemagne unless you're really, really into that <laughs> that's idea. That's right. It's about Charlemagne. Is that what it was about? <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Charlemagne the God from The Breakfast Club? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, that's it exactly.
2: Um, Is there anything else
0: um, we we he, left out about, Poe, that you want to...
1: Um, yeah, let's talk, about, let's talk about his mysterious death. Oh, yeah, it's... I think people seize on this cause he did so many stories that were spooky and macabre. And then there's all the like weird unexplained circumstances around his, his demise. Um, so here's, here's, here's how the story goes. Um, this guy comes across Poe staggering around the streets of Baltimore. He's wearing like very shabby clothing. Um, apparently the coat he was wearing was like a coat that you would wear to like funerals. Back then, so not definitely not something he would just wear like walking around. This was expressly like formal wear for a very specific situation. Mm-hmm. And and a straw hat. <laughs> the the clothes did not fit him, they were very clearly not his. Fashion um, icon. Uh well, Poe wasn't so much fashion icon, but he he did always appear neat. You know what I mean? Like his hair was always done, you know, he always had his clothes pressed. So he didn't have glamorous clothing, but he was always very conscious about his appearance. So for him to show up like in these disheveled rags is is massively out of character. Um you know somebody wrote to like one of Poe's remaining relatives and I was like, "Hey, this this guy's in a really bad way." Um and he, Poe is just delirious at this point. We don't we don't have any surviving records of what he said um except for one thing towards the end he kept saying the name Reynolds. Nobody knows who he was referring to. Yeah, there there were two guys he knew with the last name Reynolds, and like, one of them was like a former editor of his, and it was like, okay, what? Like, he wasn't close enough to these guys where it's like that's who he would be crying out yeah. for, you know, on his on his deathbed. Um, I should throw out there too, the attending physician of of post demise is is kind of suspicious. He changed his story a few times over the years, mm. so we. Again, we don't know if any of this is like 100% for sure because there's there's not even a death certificate we can go back and look at. All the records are are gone. So Poe is in this like delirium. People try to say, oh, it was drugs, it was alcohol, it was this. Uh, It was syphilis, it was cholera. Uh, People have said he got cooped. Uh, Cooping was a specific crime back then where you would abduct like homeless people off the street and like force them to go vote in elections to like rig an election for your candidate. Huh. And they called it cooping because you would, you would put them all in like a room together called the coop. And like, you would fly them either with like alcohol or like the threat of violence, or maybe even a little bit of both and get <laughs> them to go do this thing for you. And then maybe, and then you would put like different clothes on them to try to get them to go do it again.
0: Mm, thought of fraud.
1: Yeah. So yeah, our choices are, uh, delirium tremens. um, Drug problems or voter fraud. <laughs> probably not syphilis. I mean that one that one's the long shot. Um
0: Yeah, he was married.
1: Yeah. He was married. There's nothing to ever like suggest that he was anything other than than very loyal, you know, to his his wives. There's nothing that says like he played the field or whatever. So
0: But his wife did die though. Yes. Um, which probably
1: you know right and was that, and a bummer. Of, right. And, so we'll, let's get getting this um, the the guy who ripped off his estate.
0: Oh yeah, uh, Rufus Rufus uh, Griswold.
1: Griswold. Yes, I, Rufus. I, Rufus. And I, I, I just
0: I rewatched the the drunk history episode <laughs> of Poe uh, starring Duncan Trussell. Right. Shout out. Gris, so first off, Duncan Griswold Trussell.
1: writes this like absolutely scathing obituary. It, I mean, it starts off fairly normal, like oh Edgar Allan Poe, blah blah blah. This old passed away this day. Blah, he wrote blah, the blah. obituary. Yes. And he didn't sign with his own name. We found out after the fact that, that Griswold was the one who did this. Oh, he, signed it, he signed it with a fake name. And then, yeah, it goes into like, oh, it's so unfortunate that Poe was a, a drunkard and an opium fiend and a sex maniac and all, all these other you know, terrible things. Because one time Poe gave him a bad review on a poetry anthology. And then they were just enemies forevermore. Forever that. scorned. Yes, and, uh, yeah, so somehow Griswold, like, tricks his way into being, like, Poe's executor. Um, again, we don't know exactly how this happened. Poe had, like, surviving relatives.
0: Diabolical.
1: Yeah. And he just does everything he can to just shit all over Poe's name. And this is why we have this idea now of, like, oh, Poe was, like, a, a drunk, like, crazy person. And that's why I wrote all these scary stories because he was he was messed up in the head. He was a pretty normal guy by all accounts. And he just happened to have this gift for, you know, for writing spooky, creepy stories. And uh,
2: very similar to Stephen King when you think about it. Yeah. Well, Stephen King, King seems like yeah. a pretty normal dude that just, in fact, yeah. he's funny. If you've ever heard him like talk in any capacity. Yeah. If you see him in Steve King
1: is like just the goofiest guy. Man. Yeah.
2: But he knows what scares him and he can document it. Mm hmm believe
1: that he was also a huge alcoholic yeah i mean poe did have his moments but you know when in 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 times where they you know where they're actually able to talk to people that actually you know hung out with poe and that were friends with him you know um one of his contemporaries was like well you yeah, have you know after his wife died you know he, he fell into a spiral but i mean let's face it that happens to a lot of people you know, if you have, if you, you know, you have that traumatic experience and, you know, you try to kill the memory with alcohol. Yeah. Um, there was really nothing in post history like either like in terms of doctors or people that knew him um, to indicate that he was he was this, you know, uh, alcoholic that Griswold portrayed him as. Um, it didn't help that his doctor listed the cause of death as brain congestion. <laughs>
2: Your brain's a little tootie right, right your, now. your brain's <laughs> stuffed
1: up, buddy. Uh, and we don't have Sudafed yet, so I'm sorry, but you're kind of screwed.
0: Take a laxative for your brain. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> you wear a diaper on your head
2: so your brains don't come out your ears. Right, right. About
1: the best we can do is drill a hole in your skull and <laughs> hope the brain congestion comes out. Hey,
2: that would have worked if you wouldn't have stopped me.
1: <laughs> you're okay um, with that, right? This, this was the thing they did back in post-time where if they if they thought maybe your cause of death would be, like, embarrassing to your, your family or, or to the people that survived you, they're just like, oh, it's, it's brain congestion.
0: If you know, you know.
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs>
1: and now uh, you know, Mr. President.
0: So I'm thinking from the options you have laid out, I'm I'm thinking well, also because I've been brought up on the, the history of him being, like, a drug-addled um, drunk. But...
1: Um, I mean, he probably did some laudanum, but so did a lot of people back then. It's, you know. People were like, oh, like, you have a health problem? Ha- have some opium.
2: You're just yeah. saying that people well, have like a very on. two-dimensional mm-hmm. idea, like your joke that you just told? I, I stepped on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. By mistake.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I was, Joe.
2: I was going to say... Uh, um. So people are painting, like, a very two-dimensional picture of him being, like, this guy that's just, like, a crazy drunk. And while he probably did have some issues, yeah, that's not well, necessarily the first thing people would have thought of when they thought of him back then.
1: No, his his contemporaries would not have thought of him that way at all. Well, the the winners write the history books. Right. Well, uh, yeah, apparently the winners uh, take over your estate after you're dead. <laughs> Run your name into the ground.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's talk about sticking the knife in and then twisting it. Can you
1: imagine hating anyone that badly? Count. Like, oh, it's it's not enough. I I you know I messed you up in life. I have to I have to mess you up once you're in the grave.
0: I'm, I want to do a little turn here um, before we move on to another a figure, um, but um, bringing it back to Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts. Club band album cover. Um, why do you think uh, he's included on on the cover? Who do you think would have would have wanted him there?
1: I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with John Lennon. Uh, John, I, I think mm-hmm. if any of them were like Spooky Story fans, it would have been him.
2: Plus, he probably could relate to the drinking.
1: Right, right, tortured artist. Yeah. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Tortured artist for sure.
1: Because yeah, I mean, Poe's life was not. It was not happy, you know, for sure. He had a lot of problems. Wasn't Sunshine and Rainbows? No, no, definitely not.
2: Don't they have a song called Blackbird? Beatles, yeah, they do. Yeah. Who sings that album. one? Paul sings that one. Paul sings that? Yeah. Oh, uh, because that would, uh, if that was John, I would say that uh, Poe's estate or what's left of it <laughs> should probably litigate against the Beatles <laughs> for Royalty. ripping off the Raven. <laughs>
1: Copyright infringement. Hashtag
0: not all blackbirds <laughs> are ravens. Uh, at the end of each episode, as as um, you probably remember, we replace people um, with 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 um, with who we're talking about, and, and and for those that are just tuning in now to get a little spooky, um, this is probably uh, episode four where we're talking about Edgar Allan Poe and Carl Young, um, but we replaced Poe with Neil Gaiman. <laughs> Do you think that's that? That's a good. That's a good, good twist. Anyone else you might want to? You would uh, throw your hat in. We're not going to change it. Or anything? <laughs> we already made it
2: up our mind. No,
1: no. I mean, I think that's a. I think that's a good equivalence. Yeah.
2: What was the? What were the runners up? Was it like Tim Burton?
1: <laughs> probably Burton was one we thought of.
2: Stephen King probably. Probably for King sure. came up too. Uh, I
1: mean, Burton for me, I would say Burton maybe like maybe imitates Poe a little too closely. Yeah. Um. See, but I, can, I he's like a Poe fanboy. I can definitely see uh, Neil though. Gaiman like picking up the torch and, and running with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, awesome. Um, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about another spooky, scary uh, figure on the cover.
2: Alistair Crowley. Wait, Uh-oh. we take breaks
1: now? No. Boy, <laughs> boy, do I boy do I have some thoughts about Crowley?
0: Alright, and we're back. Um, thank you, Ori, for uh filling in the poholes. Uh now we're gonna talk about Alistair Crowley. Creepy Crowley. Creepy. Mm-hmm. This is from our back on our first episode. England England's wickedest man. Wicked. Uh I remember on our this is the first episode that we did, Dan, and you um uh taught me about uh uh Anton LaVey, who I hadn't even known about before. And
2: uh, the two of them they're probably the most famous right Ori as far as like satanic teachers
1: it well it, calling Crowley satanic is maybe not entirely accurate but if you're talking about like alternative religions yeah those would be the two big names
2: didn't i thought I thought um Crowley did have like a version of satanism that's what I thought no. maybe I'm Maybe I'm. There might have been a little bit of,
1: of satanic trappings when he first started out, but as as Crowley progressed, he started coming up with his own uh, systems of magic and own philosophies that were like um, a reaction not not only to you know organized religion, but to other like stuff like Wicca and you know things of things of that nature. Where he was when he started exploring what the alternatives were to organized religion, when he came across witchcraft, he was like, "Oh, I could do this better."
2: Which, whereas, yeah. uh, whereas, um...
1: LeVay was just straight up, like, Satan rules. Yeah, but he didn't believe in Satan either. Right, right. He believed in Satan as a as a concept. Yeah. Not like, literally, like, there's a dude with horns and a red butt who's gonna torture you forever when you die. Yeah. Remember, <laughs> remember the devil with the red butt in Cow and Chicken? <laughs> yes.
2: And he was always posing to show that butt. <laughs> It was awesome. Couldn't get away with that now. Trying to get the kids into gay Satanism. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yay, gay Satanism.
2: Satan's a rumor. <laughs> yeah, so what do you know about Crowley?
1: Crowley, okay. Whew, boy, where do we start with Crowley? There's a lot. Crowley is is a lot of contradictions. Um I'll explain a little bit about Wicca first, just because that was one of the things he was kind of like reacting to. Okay. So you have this guy, Earl Gardner, um, back in England. This is like uh, late 1920s, early 30s. Um, and he started Wicca, which is usually what we think of when we think of witchcraft these days. Yeah. Um, now the thing is, a lot of like ancient religions, they didn't write stuff down. it was It was all oral tradition. So Gardner was a guy like, you know, Christianity just didn't work for him. He wasn't necessarily down on it. It just didn't speak to him. And so he started studying, like, different kind of, like, folk religions of England and patched together Wicca out of that, out of these little fragments, you know, that, that he could find. Um, and, of course, the big thing in in Wicca is, you know, and it, and it harm none, do what you will. Um, Crowley comes along, and just as an aside, people... Seem to think that Gartner and Crowley didn't like each other. They were fine with each other. Like they weren't like super best buds, but they were like, oh, we're both kinda like doing the same things. And they would yeah. have talks about their philosophy. You know, they were definitely not they weren't on the same page, but they weren't antagonistic towards okay. each other. Um Crowley comes along and Crowley is like, nope, I think I think do what thou wilt is is the whole of the law. So don't worry about hurting don't wor- other people. Yes, don't worry about consequences, which is... That's their problem. Yeah, so Crowley's religion, Thelema, is it's almost kind of like the libertarianism of alternative religions. Um, there's some decent ideas there, but the people that practice it kind of go in a different way with it. Kind of like when you have that, you know, you see people that join the Libertarian Party who just heard like, hey, uh, no taxes, legal drugs, and then they just stop thinking. So it's pretty
0: hedonistic.
1: Yes.
2: Do you think that he was for the idea of like doing what you want to the point of like, Hey, if someone just pisses you off, you want to beat their ass, beat their fucking ass. Who cares? You think it was like to that level? Or do you think he more encouraged the idea of like not hurting people, but like, was like really though, number one is just do what you want. But like, yeah, like,
1: I, he didn't take it to any kind of violent degree, but yeah, it was definitely like, Hey, like do what you want, you know, uh, Find your, your true will. That was a, one of Crowley's big things was like your true will is like your, your role in life uh, once, you are, once you are able to liberate like your subconscious from the strictures of your, your conscience. So once you're able to let go of like whatever expectations, like maybe society or your parents or your friends or whoever placed on you. Now you can know who you who you really are and what you're supposed to okay. be doing. Um, Crowley was big into cultural appropriation, um, massively, and and when he wasn't doing that, like he would do stuff like you know, oh, I wrote this book, you know, the Book of Toth, and this is like the the magic of the ancient Egyptians. Half of it he made up. Oh, like he he spent a little bit of time talking to like Egyptologists and whatever, but. A lot of Crowley was just him being like, you know, he would do stuff like, "Oh, I got these from Sacred Scrolls." Well, can we can we see the Sacred Scrolls, Alistair? Well, so okay, so actually, the Sacred Scrolls are read to me by my spirit guides, and they only talk to me. Okay,
2: my Hellhound <laughs> the Sacred right. Scrolls. That sounds exactly like the story of uh, John. Uh... I can't think of his name but the mormon the guy that yes, found the mormon and their 12 church. golden disks mm-hmm.
1: and they swear up and down like we have the 12 golden disks in the temple can i see them nope yeah <laughs> and
2: then the and then he he carved that stone tablet and he gave it to the people and then they're like i don't think this guy really has these disks let's uh let's just say that we don't have this tablet anymore and then they go back to him and they're like yeah we lost that tablet and he's like well God's mad at me and he won't let me translate from those discs again, so I'm gonna have to write you something new from these other discs that God just gave me. And they believed that. <laughs> they were fine with that, and they left that whole they left that whole part in the story of their religion. They wow. left that all in there. Yep. <laughs> like, but you're I guess supposed to look at that and be like And be like, yeah, he really, you know, they were trying to trick him when they when they uh, stole that tablet. They were really trying to trick him, but like, really, God was just mad at him for letting that happen.
1: Mm. They didn't actually trick him. We believe that. Mm. That's so strange. (laughs) When you know, I think the thing with with Crowley that you have to understand is that I think Crowley was like, as far as understanding human psychology, he was he was brilliant. I think he understand how understood how people work very well. I think he could read people very well. Um, it's really benefited him in his later life. Uh, I was telling Joe this earlier when he, Alistair filed bankruptcy. The court in Britain found that he had been spending three times his income for years. And this was just all because he kept like ingratiating himself with people who would who would support him. Cause they're like, You're the you're the great magician. Yeah. Alistair Crowley, like Come sleep on my couch. I'll I'll feed you. I'll buy you heroin. <laughs> you yeah,
0: win friends and have influence people.
1: <laughs> right, <laughs> it's the kind of psychology he learned. Um, and you know, I mean, a lot of you know, when we talk about magic with a K, you know, to distinguish it from stage magic, a lot Our of it K. is just psychology. It's it's working on yourself. You know, you do the ritual to put yourself into a specific sort of headspace so you can. Confront a specific issue. Yeah. So if you're doing like a money spell, you know, it's not like, oh, man, it's not money is going to appear out of thin air, you know, and like rain down over my couch like I'm at the strip club. So it's almost more like
2: uh, taking a taking like a a cognitive behavioral therapy yeah, sort of approach much where so. you're doing these rituals that are really just sort of retraining your mind.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very apt. Um, which is why, right? They always tell you, like, don't do a love spell. Yeah. Not that you're you're actually going to force somebody to fall in love with you, but you're putting yourself into that mindset. But then, why does the love spell exist? Because people are dumb.
2: <laughs> do people that believe in this type of magic believe
1: that love spells can work? There are some. There there are some who who don't get that the work is like a metaphor for working on on the self. Yeah. Um, which is why I say Alistair, you know, understood human psychology like brilliantly. Um, you know, if, he, if he'd if he gone the route of actually like, you know, being a, a professional, you know, he probably could have revolutionized that field. But. It's just so strange to call
2: that magic. Like, why would you call that magic and not just like a new type of psychology? Was he trying to appeal to, to like the Spencer gift crowd? <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, because if you say psychology, people are like, oh, that's boring. That's dry. That's science. But if you say, I know a magic spell that's going to bring you money and success and all these other things that you want, that's much easier to sell. It's like it's a really long
2: spell, but I can read you the first three things on Mm -hmm. the spell that you have to recite. Remember to uh, not drink tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Go to work with a clear head tomorrow.
1: Right, don't don't go out drinking every night. Uh, put some money in your bank account. Yeah. To go to work.
0: Lay your clothes out for tomorrow. Right,
1: lay <laughs> your clothes out. And suddenly you'll have more money. It's like magic. You have to clean the floor in the kitchen <laughs> right.
2: twice a week.
1: Um, I think part of Crowley's problem, too, is that he was one of those people where he would play people, but he also kind of maybe got high on his own supply a lot, too. And I think especially as he got older... And like his addiction started overtaking him more. I think that line started to blur for him. I mean, my I mean at one point he claimed that he could summon up the Loch Ness monster. He was he was living in a house, <laughs> really? a little hunting lodge on the shores of Loch Ness. It's called uh Bull bull Bolskine, Bolskine, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Um but yeah, he had this little like hunting lodge, fancy hunting lodge on the shores of Loch Ness, which later Jimmy Page lived in. There's some fun useless uh-huh. trivia for you. Um and yeah, he claimed he could summon up the Loch Ness Monster, and the locals claim that he would throw a sheep into the loch once a week as a sacrifice. We don't know if that part's true, but would I put it past him? No. Sounds
2: like he turned out just like Marlon Brando in his old age.
1: Yeah, he got he got pretty out there towards the end. Um, I can't talk about Crowley without talking about the Gnostic Mass, though.
2: What's that?
0: So yes, yeah, I'm we're starting to get a little spooky here. Yeah now with Loch Ness and you know, right magic rituals. Yeah, yeah, now we're getting into it. Yeah.
1: Okay. I, I will try my best to summarize, but for those of you listening, just go go Google Gnostic Mass. After you're done listening, you'll you'll see that I'm not making any of this up. Here's the disclaimer this is what people actually believe. <laughs> um yeah, one of Crowley's big things is the Gnostic Mass. So there's there's an altar um, with various ceremonial items laid out on it. Um, there's the congregation who are wearing just sort of like flimsy robes and like, like nothing else. Um, and then there are two priestesses that come out who are supposed to be topless. They're not always. They don't make anybody be topless, but Helps. that's the tradition. You just titties out and then the the i believe it's the deacon i could i could be messing up with the title but the the high priest comes out and he has his sacred lance you see where this is going oh and he has sex with her no no there's there's no actual sex involved oh but he he presents the sacred lance firmly rather phallic and authoritatively oh yeah don't don't tell anybody who is into to, Crowley stuff that this is all like a big phallic symbol. They will get very angry with you. No, it's not phallic at all. It's a sacred lance. It's... Sure, scratch that from the record, then I don't want any
0: angry tweets. Oh, we're
1: not even in the good part yet. So after the the priest presents the sacred lance firmly, right, thrusting it out... Against her breasts? (laughs) No, thrusting out towards the audience. Oh. Like, look at my enormous Schwanstucker. (laughs) The priestesses then come in... And start gently and lovingly rubbing the lance with with sacred oils. Oh, nice. <laughs> Adorning. Again. Yes. Anointing it. Yes. Lovingly. Mm-hmm. Lovingly is very important. Mm. And then Slowly. The re- and then the real magic. Slower, slower.
2: And then the real magic is the sleight of hand trick that he does where all of a sudden his penis is in their hand. And they're okay. rubbing oils on that. And they're like, where'd the lance go? And he's like, that is the lance. Right.
1: Abracadabra!
2: <laughs> and now we do it with pizza delivery, guys.
1: Mm-hmm. And then once they are done anointing the lance, they gently kiss the lance up and down.
2: Do they have to caress the sacred orbs that hang <laughs> below the lance?
1: I, I wish. Uh, Alistair probably thought that was taken a little bit too far. <laughs> and we would, but he was like, oh, should I throw some, like, sacred orbs in there? No, no. Uh... Like, a. <laughs> I always just imagine being like, there's no way I'm going to get away with this. <laughs> Nobody is going to seriously do this and not realize I'm just making a, like an enormous magical dick joke. Yeah. But. <laughs> Disney did it on the cover
2: of The Little Mermaid. They did. That's cover's banned now. <laughs> they could have just removed that one penis. The rest of those towers didn't look quite as much like penises. No. They all looked like penises, but it was just that one. It was definitely a rotoscoped penis. Very rotoscoped.
1: And then, yeah, one of one of the priestesses lays down on the altar, and the lance is like waved over her. Again, none of the, none of this is phallic. This is all. <laughs> no, it's all very literal. Yeah. Or uh, and then the congregation has uh, cakes of light, which are like these little like their version of like a communion cake, which like a wafer, more like a, like sort of like a little Debbie cake. Which may or may not have semen in it. Oh, that's decadent. May or may not have. Who's to tell? Yeah. Uh, apparently Crowley insisted that they had to have semen in them. I'm given to understand the more modern day interpretation is that they just have like different little like essential oils and whatever in them and they don't actually well, have semen. It, it is well, pretty essential. <laughs>
2: it's like Jesus didn't actually make that bread out of his own flesh and his blood wasn't actually that wine. It's metaphorical semen. Right. <laughs> It's coconut cream. <laughs> <Right.
1: Yeah. laughs> uh, and then, yeah, they do a thing where they then they go around the temple three times and they say some some chant. So and then when, now that the priest is exhausted, you know, he puts the lance down and <laughs> they Oh, now it, <laughs> and they
2: bring out the sacred bed and he goes to sleep. Right. <laughs> sacred sandwich and sacred bed.
1: Right. The, sa- the sacred beer and a sandwich <sighs> to fall asleep to. <laughs> And that is the Gnostic mass, religion's biggest dick joke in in a nutshell. Now
0: we're really getting spooky. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Uh, My my other favorite thing about Crowley, this is something Crowley was sort of like tangentially involved in. But one of the people he sponged off of in his later years was a guy named uh, John Whiteside Parsons or Jack Parsons. He more commonly went by Jack. Uh, Jack was one of the guys who helped found the Jet Propulsion Lab at NASA. NASA. Yeah, so he's he's a huge name in, like, early rocketry. Like, he's the guy who laid a lot of the, the groundwork for what became... Another you know, phallic the, the symbol, part. too. Yeah. So you
0: could just have a big rocket getting adorned. Right,
1: your, your big flaming phallic symbol <laughs> penetrating the moon. Um. So, yeah, he, you know, Jack Parsons, in addition to being a scientist, was also a ceremonial magician. Uh And a poet, although his poetry kind of sucked, honestly, but... Um, you know, he wound up being introduced through like mutual people to Crowley. Crowley once again had been run out of town in a rail because that's what happened to Crowley a lot of times in his life. People, people like to say it's like, oh, he was a world traveler. No, people just got sick of his shit, and then they're like, you, you got to get out of town.
0: He was, a, he was actually a refugee, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> it's
0: a weird way of calling him a world traveler,
1: right? A, a refugee because of being an asshole. <laughs> Um, so he winds up at at Jack Parsons' house in in California, and uh, you know they get all kinds of crazy magical stuff going on. Jack Parsons thinks like, this is great. The titties are out. The right, the titties the, are out. This is the this Lance's is like oiled. Right, to go. The, and as far as Jack is concerned, like the Jimi Hendrix of magic just like came to his house to live with him. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's ecstatic. Somebody else in that house was L. Ron Hubbard. Oh no. <laughs> who was very good friends with Jack right up until the point that Elron decided he st- wanted to start his own religion. So he took a bunch of Jack's books, uh, a lot of his money, and his wife. Elrond Hubbard took his wife? Yeah, and then they went out onto the, whatever boat that was that Elrond was on when he started putting down the tenets of Scientology. Um, a lot of what they do is, is taken from Crowley's work. Oh, wow. Wow.
0: Yeah, let well, let that sit for a second.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's it's effective because again, Crowley knew he knew how to manipulate people.
0: So in a way, is that a like a a continuation, maybe of?
1: I, I wouldn't say continuation because there are different mystical organizations mm-hmm. that are like there's like the OTO and the uh, Argentum Astrum. And these organizations are the like... AA? Yes. Okay. Well, what is it again? What's the pronunciation? Argentum Astrum. Um, Argentum Astrum. Yeah. I don't actually know Latin, so if any of you out there do, I'm sorry. I probably screwed that
0: up. I remember when we did the episode, we just called it the AA, because that's
1: how, how AI put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, it's, it's like, s- well, not that AA. Right. Apparently, some people debate if, like, Argentum Astrum is supposed to be, like, the actual, like, name. But, uh-huh. yeah, the AA mm-hmm. and... Um, those the, are the, those are the organizations the, um,
0: the Golden Dawn, you say or um, what's Golden, one you said Golden
1: Dawn, Dawn was uh, oh the OTO Oh, the OTO yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Golden Dawn was uh, John D, who, who was Crowley like uh, inspired in Crowley adjacent. But, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, there's organizations like that where they actually do have like a lineage back to to Crowley. I wouldn't say that's the case with Scientology. Mm. It's just more like a bad imitation cover band yeah
2: well i'm pretty sure the whole purpose of scientology is just to blackmail people because that seems to be what they do with the um with the e-readers or whatever the e-meter whatever i write the e-meter which i've done one of those in kansas city once there were scientologists just sitting on a corner like uh that proved me wrong meme it was like one of those little setups oh, no. just right on a corner and they had uh And they had the two things and I had to hold them and it measured it. They didn't tell me what I don't remember what it meant, but I got a sweet DVD out of it. I wish I still had it. It's a it's a Scientology like, you know, get into Scientology. Here's what it's about. DVD. But it's a half an hour long. In the entire time, no one ever says anything abo- about what Scientology is. Oh. The entire time. Not even a shred. Right. They don't tell you anything that happens there. They don't tell you why it's making their lives better. They don't even give you hints. They're just like, yeah, I've been uh, doing Dianetics for three years
1: now. My life is great. That's like every single testimonial
2: yeah. in the well, video right, Because
1: you've you got to have that mystery to draw people in. Right. It's like when you're at the carnival and the sideshow barker is like, come see the amazing, you know, bearded lady. And you're like, bearded lady. What the hell? Yeah,
2: but they tell you there's going to be a bearded lady there. See, they're giving you they're giving you a taste. If they just say, hey, come to this carnival where you're going to have
1: fun. Mm-hmm.
2: And that's all you and you're like, really, and what kind like, of fun? Well, they're I... like, You don't even know how much fun it's so and, fun. Right. here.
1: And then you're going to be like, oh, well, I, I like fun.
2: No, you're going to be like, what's at the carnival? And then they're going to be like, lots of fun stuff. And you're like, what is at this fucking carnival? Because that's what it was like watching that DVD. Right, they just refused to tell
1: you. No, the carnival's great, trust me. Yeah. Okay, but are, are there rides? Are there games? No, it's great. It's, it's, great. it's, great. it's great. It's great. It's fun. You like fun. It was better than cats. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Wait, so it's a musical? You just gotta go. (laughs) Just gotta go. I'm going going to go again and again.
0: You you get hung up on the details. It's fun.
2: There are no details.
0: (laughs) So, any other details you'd like to share? Um,
1: there was a rumor that Crowley may or may not have been involved with British intelligence. Oh, all right. Some Um, some conspiracy, but I think I think that was something Crowley himself started because there was a moment where he was like. (laughs) Working for like pro-German groups in Britain, so he kind of like he kind of like flirted with fascism a little bit. Mm. <laughs> and I I, I almost want to think that it's like okay, maybe that's a ruler Rumor Crowley himself spread it back. No, no, no. I was I was totally infiltrating the Germans. Little flirty f- fascism, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. And I wasn't trying to turn into a fascist. I was. I was trying to keep them from turning you into a fascist. <laughs> wow. That's uh, he's he's a complicated character, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, Dan,
0: do you feel like you know a little bit more about him now? I do. from From what we shared, with folks at home, I hope I hope you also feel a little more enlightened and just a, 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 a little bit
2: scared here on this Halloween. <laughs> Cause Cause he's I'm probably soaked. still alive in a cave somewhere, five hundred years old <laughs> for some reason.
0: And then I will babaji. Very Evan. Uh, so when we come back, um, from the, this brief message, we're going to, we, uh, we can't leave AI out of the, of the talk. Um uh, we had AI put a little screenplay together that we'll recite for you and, and, and then yeah. we'll
2: send you on your way. Yeah. Hope
0: so, uh, g- get your popcorn, uh, balls together. All right. Let's and, all go to the lobby and, uh, get ourselves some treats. It's
2: snack. Have ourselves a snack. Let's not get ourselves some treats. I thought it was treats. No. Mm-hmm. Let's, all Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby and have ourselves a snack. That's how it
1: goes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh. Dan has got you there. Okay It's not and get ourselves some
2: <laughs>
0: treats. treats. I thought it was treats. I like treats more than snacks. And we're back. But before we get into it, we got to let everybody know where these velvety tones are coming from, the four walls around us. We are here at the Golden Ox
2: Studio here in Cleveland, Ohio. Golden Ox.
1: Sacred Golden Ox. Ox.
2: The Cronenberg Dungeon of Your Dreams, Golden Ox Studios. We're actually watching a Cronenberg movie tonight. I'm excited. We are, yeah. We'll we'll be diving into Crimes of the Future. It's a good one. I yeah. saw a screenshot of it and there's a picture of a guy with his eyes sewed shut and ears like human ears, but just sticking off his forehead. It looks awesome. Oops,
1: all ears. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm into it. In our, our lovely studio with our, uh, our taxidermied friends. There's lots of great
2: podcasts at Golden Ox Studios. There are, Dan. My friend Brett Thomas has a podcast here. Jeremy himself has one Jeremy has a podcast all about being homeschooled It does Have you ever wonder what it It was like What it would be like to be homeschooled? Being homeschooled But like when someone else isn't homeschooled And then they can't relate to it And then they talk to him about What it was like when he was homeschooled And then they tell him how their lives were different Or the same The more you know
0: Folks, we're going to wrap it up here. We've got AI wrote us a beautiful story that I've had them tweak a couple of times. I won't give away any of the prompts. Um, We'll just get into it. The uh,
1: prompts will remain a mystery. Yes. Should we cast
0: for... Uh, there's six characters? Uh, there's four characters. Four characters. Four characters. Um, And, of course, a narrator. I would uh, like to... Um, what's the word when you choose someone? Uh, elect. Yes, I would elect Ori to be our narrator. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe in, in like, I don't know, your best um, Vincent Price or, or Christopher Lee kind of voice or your own voice is also uh, perfectly fine. And then we have, um, so we've cast Mae West, Marilyn Monroe, Fred Astaire, and Tony Curtis in a horror movie. Um, so those are some prompts um, in the style of a, m- a mixture of Poe, H.G. Wells, and William S. Burroughs. And some
2: screwball comedy <laughs> that the whole family will love. <laughs> <laughs> and just a dash of dark magic. <laughs> um,
0: f- for the just, May West. Just, uh, just
1: keep your Sacred Lance out of it, okay? We'll All well, right, everyone.
0: Get your Sacred Lances out. <laughs> Don't start anointing them until
2: we tell you.
0: <laughs> Brian, are you
2: anointing your lands? No premature anointing. <laughs> Brian, stop stop anointing your lands.
0: Uh, so, so, then, if you would be Mae West, um, who plays the role of Lucy.
2: Okay. Um, I'll- is this a stretch for May? Does she get to actually showcase her acting abilities? Or is she just going to be doing the same old rom-com stuff that she is getting a little tired of doing. I'd like to think she's uh, stretching a little bit. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, we got uh, Marilyn Monroe playing the role of Mona. Um, That's you. I'll be happy to, to do
1: her voice.
0: Um, we've got uh, Fred Astaire. Oh, he, they changed his name from Fred to Ragtime.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ragtime Fred Astaire, okay.
0: Who would like to be Ragtime? Uh, the other one is Tony Curtis, if someone would rather be Tony Curtis.
1: Dan, I kind of remember that your was, Tony
2: Curtis being... I'll Which do, of us can be
1: the best, like, New Yorker?
2: I could do Tony Curtis the way that he did some Like It Hot, where he's just doing Cary Grant. <laughs> this, is, this
1: is good.
0: And um, Fred Astaire I don't know, he's kind of not a
2: script in a voice. Like, uh, yeah, I can't even picture it. No, exactly, it's just a voice. I can see his feet move, but I can't hear his voice.
0: <laughs> your feet are moving, but you're not saying anything. <laughs> dance something once, why dance it again? Um, so I'll take r- r- record time. I'll, I'll, so I'll be Fred and Marilyn. You'll be West and Curtis. Uh, yeah. And Ori will be our uh, our narrator All right. with uh, screen signs. So uh, we'll just pass it around and I'll tighten it up. Okay. If it needs tightening. <laughs> I'm scared. I'm glad the lights are on.
1: All right. I'm, I'm reading to you.
0: Yeah, yeah. You'll describe
1: all the characters. All right. Hopefully, the battery doesn't die. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Times Enigma. Amidst a stormy night, a decrepit mansion stands in ominous silence. In the study, four iconic figures with distorted personas gather. Their faces warped by shadows and altered states of consciousness. Reading the cast. Lucy gazes into the flames, her eyes hinting at secrets far beyond the ordinary.
0: This is Mae West.
1: Mona, played by Marilyn Monroe, clutches her shawl, her vulnerability intensified by a peculiar aura. Ragtime Fred Astaire moves with unsettling grace, leaving an enigmatic trail. Stumbled over that one. Sal, played by Tony Curtis, attempts to maintain composure, even as the boundaries of reality blur. Outside, the rain pelts the windows, and thunder roars in chaotic rhythm. The four icons have been invited by Dr. Montgomery, a scientist whose experimentation blurs the line between science and hallucinogenic exploration. They wait anxiously, but he's nowhere to be seen. The clock strikes midnight, and a hidden door creaks open, revealing a a laboratory, gotta say it that way. In spooky times, bathed in surreal light. They exchange bewildered glances and enter. Dr. Montgomery appears, his eyes reflecting a deranged intellect. Dun, dun,
0: dun. We'll have you be Montgomery, too. Uh, okay, since that's yeah. Oh, and there you go.
1: All right, there I am. <laughs> Welcome, my astral travelers. I've melded the dimensions of H.G. Wells with the eldritch mystique of Poe's tales. The machine hums with dissonant vibrations. Suddenly, the spectral presence of Edgar Allan Poe consumes the room. Poe's tales materialize in bizarre ways. The pendulum of the pit in the pendulum swings erratically. The telltale heart beats in disjointed patterns. The apparitions of Montresor and Fortunato whisper surreal truths. I've channeled post-spectral energies, Dr. Montgomery says. The group frantically searches for an escape from this surreal nightmare where time and perception intertwine. As they attempt to activate the time machine, Bill, played by W.C. Fields, stumbles into the laboratory, exuding an uncanny energy.
2: What's all this hub hullabaloo, Friends?
1: He fumbles with a mysterious vial, unknowingly unleashing an altered reality upon the room. Alistair Crowley's spirit looms over them, his incantations rewriting the laws of the cosmos. We must confront the forces of Crowley's magic! The group delves into a surreal battle between the scientific and the occult. In the final confrontation, the machine sputters, and reality itself warps. Space and time collide. They return to the study, gasping for sanity, but the room remains haunted by the hallucinatory presence of Poe. The icons and the scientists teeter on the brink of madness, uncertain if they've returned to their reality or remain entrapped in the hallucinogenic dreamscape of William S. Burroughs' nightmares. Fade out the end. What a, what a dud.
2: <laughs> that was it. That was it. <laughs> that was all there. there
0: was no dialogue.
2: Oh, You gosh. guys didn't get to do anything. I got a line. You got one line, yeah. You're just bummed that you got less it's, lines it's than it's me. All you got
1: your, you your union-mandated line. You got a line, too, Ori.
2: <laughs> I feel oh. like someone's just upset that they didn't get a line.
0: No, there was, like, like, the, the characters jo- weren't in it. <laughs> jo- Joe oh, was
2: did.
1: directing. Yeah, I mean, it's Awful. said that they
2: were there. Some movies are better when they have less dialogue. Have you ever seen Drive. Drives real good. It's a great movie. There's not a lot of dialogue. Yeah, that's true. How do we fix this? Fix this quick. You ever see 2001 Space Odyssey? Yeah. There's no dialogue in that movie. The whole movie. The whole movie the has whole no movie. dialogue. Yeah, don't take our word for it. All right. Here's some dialogue
0: from the screenplay, evidently. You know, these are all real movies, of course. They just forgot to give it us. They forgot to us, give yeah. it to us. Yeah. This was us was on the back page of it. I'll just set the scene. Uh
2: Interior Mansion Night. Well, this place is hotter than a two-dollar pistol. What's the deal, darling? I don't know, Eve,
0: but something feels... odd. It's like... deja vu, but strange. (laughs) Rectime, Fred Astaire, paces elegantly, but with a hint of unease.
2: I say, this is quite the peculiar soiree. Wouldn't you agree... Let's just see what the good doctor has in store for us. No need to get worked up.
0: Dr. Montgomery enters, his eyes wild.
1: Ah, my esteemed guests, you've all arrived. Please, gather round. I have a most intriguing experiment to unveil. The group exchanges nervous glances.
0: Interior hidden laboratory, continuous. W.C. feels, as Charlie, stumbles drunkenly into the laboratory. As you would expect.
2: What in tarnation is all this ruckus about? Where's the hooch? (laughs) He reaches for his flask, but spills it onto the machine.
0: Alistair Crowley's spirit looms, chanting dark incantations. Stop him! We can't let his dark arts prevail! The group confronts Crowley in a chilling showdown. The room becomes increasingly surreal,
2: the boundaries (laughs) of reality warping. This is getting stranger by the minute. I've seen a lot in my time, but this is beyond anything I could have imagined.
0: I'm usually light on my feet,
2: but this... This is surreal.
0: Where are we? It feels like the world is slipping away.
2: We need to find a way out of this madness. Let's stick together.
0: As... The battle between science and dark magic reaches its climax. Reality itself unravels. The group returns to the study, gasping for breath.
1: Breast. Breasts, breasts, Freudian <laughs> penis,
0: lancing, right? lances out. The group lances out for Harambe. The group returns to the study, gasping for breath. The room remains haunted by the presence of Poe.
1: Have we returned to our time? Or are we forever trapped in a dreamscape?
0: Fade out. The end. The end. Dum, dump, dump. I think they're trapped. Yeah, I think so too. I can see why yeah, this movie never I, never. I don't ruined. think they ever made off. a sequel yeah. to that. No, I don't think they even had a real end. Right. Rocks it. fall, everybody dies. It was you like know. Devil's Wind.
2: Devil's Fart in the Wind? More like. <laughs> I think I want to start calling Freudian slips uh Crowley and Lances. <laughs> Oops, Crowley, Crowley and Lance <laughs> again. <laughs> well, I, think, I think that's, that's just
1: th- never going to get old, is it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, won't look at the Lance the same way again. Be checking how. Hey, thanks for being a part of this, Ori oh, Thank, thank
1: you for having me on. This you brought great. a
0: lot to the
2: show.
1: Yeah.
0: Yes, thank you, Ori Thank you for very happy for I listening too. Thanks, thanks for being a, a dedicated listener. We appreciate that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm. I'm glad I can contribute to the to the spooky times.
2: We uh, we, we do it for ourselves, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we do everything for ourselves, just like Crowley would have wanted. Yes,
1: right. Yes. Your true will. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> do what thou wilt. Wilt? Wilt? Yes. Do wilt. what thou wilt. Like, like a flower.
2: Uh huh. Yeah, you gotta make it sound Be like a flower.
0: Well, and uh, thank you out there in uh, Gyroscope Land for tuning in to this super-secret special episode. Season 3 will be coming, but uh, honestly, probably not until next year, January, because, you know, we've got to record them. We want to get them right. We want to do them better than we were doing them. So, uh, you know, make sure
2: you're, you're keeping your your album covers anointed with all those oils. And don't ever forget... If you're not growing, you're showing. Good night, everybody. (laughs)